Escape from Tarkov is more than just collecting loot and finding yourself some hardcore PvP. There is a story why your PMC is fighting for survival in this hostile, post-apocalyptic region that a surprising amount of players don't know about. This story is about to become a little more important, as Nikita, the lead developer at Battlestate Games, has hinted numerous times recently that a more story-driven quests and tasks are about to be added to the game. To get you up to speed on the story and lore of Tarkov, we want to fill you in on the details. Here we go. To truly understand the full story of Tarkov, you first need to know that the lore of this series is actually the result of three different game projects, all produced by Battlestate Games that also have supporting content such as concept artwork and even books and novels. The three games are Contract Wars, Escape from Tarkov, and Russia 2028. Contract Wars was BSG's first successful game and set the scene for events and games to come later. While the game itself is light on lore, it did have a lot of backstory planned and conceptualized, but most of that was saved for later games. In reality, Russia 2028 is BSG's true vision of the story of Tarkov, and it's been rumored that Contract Wars and Escape from Tarkov are just stepping stones until they secure the funding and studio size required to make such an ambitious open-world game. But for now, just know that all of these game stories are intertwined. Let's get on to Tarkov itself. Tarkov City is the largest metropolitan center in the Norvinsk Special Economic Zone. The Norvinsk region was specifically created to be a sort of gateway to the west, linking Europe to Russia. Inside this zone, commercial enterprises and businesses were given favorable incentives to move their global headquarters to this region. The city of Tarkov, when compared to other Russian or European cities of the time, was extremely modern. It was a capitalist playground, which boasted near-zero regulations and red tape that typically was the bane of most megacorporations. The region quickly grew in size as it became home to more and more corporate honchos, financiers, lobbyists, and industrialists. One of those corporations was the Terra Group Corporation, a name you'll need to remember. Terra Group isn't just one company, but as the name implies, a group of similar corporate entities that are all working towards the same goal. Also included in the Terra Group are a number of shell companies and holding companies that are specifically designed to lead investigators towards dead ends in the event anyone tries to go sniffing around while following paper trails. Sometime between 2016 and 2028, Terra Group became involved in a series of political scandals that would eventually turn violent. June 15th sometime in the late 2000s. As the global war on terror rages in the Middle East, a small human rights publication by the name World Justice publishes a public newsletter about a curious event taking place deep within the Congo. With news headlines being dominated about the invasion and occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan by the United States, as well as the ongoing global financial crisis, this seemingly inconsequential newsletter went unnoticed by the world community. Charges have been levied against the multinational corporation Terra Group by a court in Brazzaville, in the capital of the Federal Republic of Congo, for illegal mining operations, as well as the use of private security agencies against the local population. These charges are serious, as this region of Africa, like many others, has been stricken with intense and bloody civil war for decades, and now matters are only getting worse. Not only have Terra Group been using PMCs against the locals, 
but USEC has also been illegally arming local bands of rebels and insurgents, fanning the flames of war and insurrection across the country. But what may be even more alarming is the business terror group is engaging in. Terror Group arrived in Congo sometime in 2008 and immediately took over a controlling stake in the mining and export of copper and zinc. These two minerals by themselves aren't alarming in any way, but it wasn't long until Terror Group also turned their attention to diamonds. And worse yet, it is now apparent that Terror Group is actively engaging in the mining of uranium ore. If we look deeper into the context of this discovery, we can start to paint a haunting picture of the true intentions of Terra Group. It's not a secret that Terra Group is preparing itself for a conflict of some kind. In the timeline of Escape from Tarkov, this is one of the very first stories to be released about Terra Group's intentions. This takes place several years before the collapse and containment of the Tarkov region, but is an important clue of what may come. First, let's look at what Terra Group is mining. Zinc, copper, diamonds, and uranium. The diamond mining is pretty easy to explain. Terror Group is operating in an impoverished, war-torn, and corrupt area of Africa, and engaging in the business of conflict diamonds may be an easy way to secure funding, especially with well-equipped USEC muscle to protect their investments. But zinc, copper, and uranium can only mean one thing. Terror Group may possibly be attempting to build or assemble nuclear weapons or their components, either for their own use or for someone else. What business they could possibly be engaged in for such powerful weapons is a complete mystery, but it doesn't stop there. As most know, uranium can be refined into weapons-grade fissile material for thermonuclear weapons, and copper would most certainly be needed for wiring and electrical components for such a device. But zinc may be the most alarming ingredient in this doomsday cocktail. Zinc has been theorized to be able to be used as a salting material for nuclear weapons. Typically, cobalt is used for this type of application, Salting of a nuclear weapon is essentially the application of certain types of elements to increase its radioactivity or to increase the severity of its radioactive fallout. If zinc were used for this application, it would create the isotope ZN65, which can produce approximately 2.27 mega electron volts of gamma radiation, significantly increasing the amount of radioactive fallout that that nuclear weapon would produce. Such a bomb has never been created or tested. The idea of salted bombs was proposed by Leo Szilard, a Hungarian-American physicist in February of 1950. He never intended for such a weapon to be built, but rather to demonstrate how such devices had the capability to destroy all life on Earth if the technology continued to progress. It is my belief that Terra Group is indeed engaging in the business of building, designing, and testing the concept of salted nuclear weapons, and there are clues around Tarkov to support this claim. First, there's a high amount of radiological testing and monitoring devices that can be found in all parts of the Tarkov region. From gas analyzers, to Geiger counters and protective equipment, to entire truckloads of radiological survey equipment. If we take a look at our character's health page, there's also a space reserved for radioactive damage. And finally, at the lab's location, it is apparent that there have been spills of some kind of luminous green sludge, possibly a component or byproduct of fissile material handling going on in Terra Group's labs. It also explains why Terra Group has gone to such massive lengths to protect their secrets. The purchasing of military equipment, 
the funding of a massive private military, and openly engaging in hostilities with Russian authorities all points to terror group needing to hide a very, very big secret. While the main source of these scandals is still shrouded in mystery, what we do know is that Terror Group was actively paying off Russian and local government officials for old military hardware. What they needed this hardware for is still unknown, but at the same time they either became closely linked with the United Security or USEC company, or possibly absorbed them completely, but for now realize that they are essentially taking over all of the armed security for all Terror Group locations. August 2011 Soldier Magazine, a popular Russian publication on military and private military affairs, publishes an in-depth expose on the clandestine private military group known as USEC, or United Security. Although PMC companies typically keep much of their business held close to their chests, a journalist belonging to Soldier Magazine performed diligent investigative journalism to glean as many details as he could about this mysterious organization. This is the full history of USEC. The story of USEC starts with Brian Kernigan, an American businessman born and raised in an unknown southwestern state possibly Texas. His parents owned a lucrative trucking business that routinely hauled goods to and from Mexico. When Kernigan came of age, he inherited the family business and took over as president of the company. With routine border crossings across one of the most notoriously dangerous areas in North America, Kernigan underestimated the dangers associated with the family business. This was an issue his parents never had to endure. But as cartel and gang violence continued to grow along the U.S.-Mexico border, Kernigan began to receive reports of his trucks being attacked and hijacked by cartel gunmen. As these incidents continued to increase in frequency, and even resulted in the deaths and kidnappings of some employees, Kernigan began to hire armed guards to serve as escorts for company tractor trailers hauling valuables amidst the sprawling gangland that continued to grow along the border areas. This decision proved to be lucrative and Kernigan's trucks could now ship even more valuable products with far fewer losses now that they had hired guns to guard their cargo. Being a sensible businessman, Kernigan soon realized that it would be far more profitable to build his own private security company rather than hire guards from other companies. At the same time, Kernigan ordered that all trucks that are to be making border crossings are to be up-armored, something that was nearly unheard of in the American trucking industry, but it was a decision that proved to boost profits even higher. As Kernigan's side business continued to grow, he began to take on clients that didn't need goods transported, but rather desired his armed escorts instead. The writing was on the wall, and Kernigan realized there was far more money to be made in private security and military work than there could ever be made in trucking. There was one big problem, however. Kernigan was not a military man, and had no experience in managing a large military organization. But through skillful networking, he met retired Brigadier General George Steiner, owner of Redbird Security Company, and the two negotiated a merger. Steiner was a talented military officer, but his talents as a businessman were lackluster. After inheriting Redbird Security Company after the death of his partner, the company began to decline and lose profits. This is when Kernigan stepped in and was able to negotiate a favorable deal to acquire the company. This merger created the now newly formed Kernisek Security Company, what was to become a major component of the future USEC. United Kingdom, 1994. John Berger, a Royal Marines colonel 
has just entered into retirement. Although Berger had dreams of vacations on sunny white sand beaches, tropical cruises, and much needed rest and relaxation, he quickly found retired life to be boring in comparison to his military life. While visiting with an old military friend at a pub, his friend informed Berger that he had found a lucrative side hustle during his own retirement that involved protecting ships passing through the Horn of Africa from pirates. It didn't take much convincing before Berger found himself signing on to one of these vessels and beginning a career of maritime high-risk civilian contracting. On Berger's first voyage, his ship was attacked by pirates. Armed only with a revolver, Berger failed to repel the attack, and while his life was spared, the ship and much of its crew was lost. With an inexperienced crew and poor equipment mostly to blame, Berger returned to the UK and signed on with a new company, but this time with experienced officers and much better equipment, including semi-automatic AR-15 carbines. Again, Berger's ship was attacked off the coast of Somalia, but this time the attack was easily repelled. Not letting the usefulness and effectiveness of proper armed escorts to go unnoticed, upon returning to the UK, Berger establishes the Safe Sea Maritime Paramilitary Transport Company. During the growth of Safe Sea, Berger met Ronald Henry Hunt, a former UK civil servant and who would go on to become the head of business development for USEC. Hunt helped Berger acquire one government contract after the next, and soon Hunt encouraged Berger to grow Safe Sea into an international level, suggesting a merger with the American Kernisek Company. The negotiations were successful, and in 1999, Kernisek merged with Safe Sea to form the United Security Company or USEC. With the shrewd business qualities of Kernigan, military experience of George Steiner, management skills of Berger, and diplomatic prowess of Hunt, USEC immediately began to make a reputation for itself around the globe. Within just a few years, USEC gained the attention of the Pentagon as the invasion of Iraq began to roll out. But USEC was only one of dozens of hired PMC groups in Iraq, with their reputation being shadowed by larger and much well-known organizations such as Blackwater. But what led USEC to come out on top was not because of anything they did right, but because they didn't do anything wrong. With few exceptions, nearly every PMC group in Iraq experienced some kind of scandal, besides USEC. By 2007, USEC had built up a reputation of strict professionalism and attention to detail. Most notably, above all else, their operators never ever allowed details to leak of any kind of the nature of their business. This reputation caught the attention of the multinational corporation Terror Group, which signed on USEC to take over all armed security at all terror group locations. With American and British soldiers entering retirement after completing their tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan, there was also now a massive pool of eligible and experienced recruits for USEC to hire. But USEC would not go without a spotless record that was free of scandal forever. Sometime around 2009, USEC brought on Gus Van Saint, a former U.S. Army Green Beret, onto their board of directors as the director of special operations. It wasn't long until a scandal erupted in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Gus Van Saint is an extremely important name that you'll need to remember. As of today, USEC employs around 15 to 18,000 employees, with 7,500 trained warfighters across several countries. In the timeline of escape from Tarkov, it is estimated that 500 to 1,000 USEC operators are now trapped within the blockaded Tarkov region desperately attempting to both hide or destroy terror group's secrets, as well as survive and extract from the area. Meanwhile, terror group has also been illegally acquiring real estate and structures all over the Tarkov and Norvinsk region and setting up laboratories for research and experimentation by one of the terror group's subsidiaries, terror group labs. As terror group's footprint in the region continued to grow, so did interest in its illegal activities by the Russian government. Investigations were launched and quickly stifled by USEC, sometimes violently. As investigations went cold and bodies started to go missing, 
news from the Tarkov region finally fell on the ears of the United States government and the UN. With rumors of UN peacekeepers soon being deployed, Russian investigators and special forces began plans to withdraw from the region, and a mysterious new PMC group reared their heads for the first time. The Battle Encounter Assault Regiment, or BEAR. While the Russian government denies the existence of BEAR, it has been rumored that not only does the Kremlin know about BEAR, but they specifically designed and directed the formation of the clandestine group, and it is compromised of both active and former Spetsnaz soldiers. Bear's objective was simple. While acting as a sterilized, independent military force, get to the bottom of terror group's true plans and objectives in the Tarkov region, and find out why they've gone to such great lengths to protect their secrets and dealings. Soon after being deployed to the Tarkov region, they came under immediate hostile fire from USEC forces, and the Tarkov region exploded into violence. August 5th, 2011. A commercial Russian court has gathered and seen enough evidence to issue a general arrest and seizure warrant of any or all Russian-based terror group labs property after an alarming discovery was made. Not only had terror groups labs been procuring illegal military equipment and real estate in the Norvinsk region, but the local government around the Tarkov area had enabled them. The reasoning behind this collusion is still unclear to this day, but the fact that the local Tarkov government was working hand-in-hand -hand with terror group means that the seizure warrant had to be taken all the way to the top. It was to be handled by the Russian FSB. Similar to the FBI in the United States, the FSB is Russia's premier counterintelligence investigative force. The seizure was to be a fairly simple affair. Although Terror Group was notorious in the region for posting up ring upon ring of USEC operators all around its facilities and territories, there was little concern that the day would end in bloodshed. After all, it's not like this was some kind of military invasion. It was meant to be professional investigators visiting the local corporate headquarters and executing the will of the law, straight and to the point. Some may have even considered it just another day in the field. Nonetheless, an order was given down all the way from the FSB director that two quick reaction forces be placed on standby in the event of an incident, and the FSB investigators would accompany members of the joint prosecution team to the terror group headquarters. The following day, on August 6th at 10 a.m. Moscow time, FSB investigators along with joint prosecution team members arrived at the local Tarkov Terror Group's lab's headquarters. Upon arrival, they were greeted by numerous seemingly unarmed security personnel at the front desk. When supplied with arrest and seizure warrants, they were immediately denied entry and asked to leave while Terror Group security members attempted to usher investigators out of the building. Following a predetermined protocol, FSB and investigators complied in an attempt to de-escalate the situation. Back at their armored SUVs in the parking lot, FSB command relayed the decision that both quick reaction teams would be deployed and that a forceful entry of the building would be attempted. Within seconds, black-tinted glass SUVs came roaring into the parking lot from a variety of directions, with all black-clad and armored FSB operators riding on the outside of the vehicle with specially designed fast insertion hand and footholds installed on the vehicles. What was supposed to be a calm and orderly warrant service was quickly about to become a violent and chaotic battleground. Team 1 stacked up on the main entrance while Team 2 prepared a mobile tactical ladder to breach the second story office. As soon as the order was given to breach, both teams made entry at the same time and complete and utter chaos ensued. Immediately upon entering, the point man of Team 1 was stitched from groin to chin with staccato machine gun fire from behind the front desk of the greeting hallway. As the rest of Team 1 took cover to the left and to the right wherever they could, 
Team 2 was reporting they had made contact with a large amount of uniformed and marked USEC PMC operatives on the second floor. It was clear to all that Terror Group was well prepared for such an event. Despite the professional office setting, Team 2 was reporting the use of hand grenades, as well as visible heavy weapons being carried by some USEC. It was at this point that both FSB teams began calling for reinforcement from Oman, which is basically the Tarkov City SWAT team, belonging to the Municipal Tarkov Police. The battle that ensued lasted 45 minutes against an unknown amount of USEC operatives. It quickly became apparent that due to the casualties FSB and Oman forces were sustaining, that they would quickly become overwhelmed and annihilated. The retreat order was given, and as the quick reaction teams covered for one another, abandoning their dead and dying, they made their way towards their armored SUVs in the terror group's lab's parking lot. As the final team members grabbed onto the handholds of their SUV containing numerous investigators and officials, a rocket-propelled grenade was fired from the second-story window by an unknown USEC operator. As the shaped charge impacted one SUV, the molten copper jet from the warhead pierced a second vehicle behind it, killing nearly all of the occupants. In all, 18 investigators and 21 FSB operatives were killed. It is unknown how many Terror Group's lab's employees or USEC operators were killed. At 1.42 p.m. that day, the now-evacuated headquarters building was nearly completely destroyed by remote detonation of high explosives. The resulting fire and destruction left almost no evidence at the scene. After this incident, the situation in Tarkov began to rapidly unravel, and USEC was very clearly now acting as the private military for Terror Group, and no longer just some security company. This is the story of the first clash between USEC forces in Tarkov and the forces of the Russian Federation, but it certainly wasn't the last. As the situation in Tarkov became more complex and more violent, the Russian military and its operatives would come into several more skirmishes with not only USEC, but also UN peacekeeping forces. In one of these incidents, a mysterious third party seemingly orchestrated events to force Russian forces into direct combat with UN peacekeepers. Within weeks of the fighting between Bear and Yusek starting, the Russian government sealed off the Tarkov region to prevent violence from spreading, but also to prevent more outside Western parties from deploying forces to the region. The risks were clear. If more UN peacekeepers were to be deployed, or worse yet, if actual uniformed troops from a NATO-allied country or even the US soldiers arrived, it could potentially result in open conflict between Russian and NATO armed forces that could quickly spiral out of control into full-blown conflict between nuclear powers. Not only that, but with increased Western attention, NATO forces could potentially get to the bottom of terror groups' activities before Bear did, and choose to destroy any evidence of terror groups' true intention. What resulted next was a nearly unprecedented blockade of a large region around Tarkov City that was enforced by the Russian military. And while no-fly zone had been established in the region, supply drops and clandestine helicopter insertions would be observed by all sides, in all times of day and night, by unmarked craft. Soon after the evacuations were completed and the area sealed off, a curious event was observed by UN peacekeepers in the region. A rather large portion of the civilian population had elected to stay behind in Tarkov, and attempt to thrive in the now truly lawless environment. These civilians were assumed to be everything from common street thugs to former members of the military, and even former PMCs that become disenfranchised with the goals of their employers. These scoundrels, ruffians, and thugs quickly became affectionately known as scavs, or scavengers, and typically roamed the streets of Tarkov in small groups, sometimes just looking for food or supplies, but other times looking for trouble. With a power vacuum in Tarkov now in full effect, some of these scav groups started to organize around regional warlords as their nucleus. 
through intimidation, outside connections, or sometimes just brute strength and ruthlessness, these warlords became the organizers and bosses of bands of scavs and built up a fearsome reputation in various sectors of Tarkov. You might know them as scav bosses, and they go by the names of Rishala, Killa, Glukar, and a few others. These warlords also served as intermediaries to the outside world, sourcing weapons, ammunition, and supplies for their followers, and soon, what was only a minor annoyance for the PMCs in the region, evolved into a serious threat. As reliable sources for food, water, and electricity in the region diminished, these scavs became increasingly desperate, and their attacks on the relatively well-equipped PMC and UN forces increased both in frequency and ferocity. As the fighting within Tarkov reached its climax, an unknown bear operative that eventually became separated from his unit discovered a critical piece of intelligence relating to Terror Group's secret dealings. This operative discovered helmet cam footage of USEC operators at an unknown Terror Group Labs location, liquidating evidence and also engaging in the mass killings of Terror Group Labs employees. As word of this incident spread, some former USEC operators became disenfranchised with the goals of their employers as well as feeling as if they had been abandoned to die in Tarkov. As these PMCs attempted to try to make their way out of the Tarkov region, they quickly realized that the border guards did not discriminate and that a shoot-on-sight order was given for anyone approaching any cordon area. In a surprising turn of events, faced with certain death, pockets of Bear and former USEC operatives have been sighted actually joining forces and sometimes even operating in small groups. It is assumed that their only goal at this point is survival and eventual escape from the Tarkov region. These lone PMCs aren't completely without allies, however. While some regional leaders have turned themselves into violent warlords, some of those still within Tarkov that have outside connections have realized there is profit to be made in the midst of all the calamity. These networks of connected individuals have allied themselves with the abandoned PMCs of the area as a sort of dealer network. In exchange for bounties, odd jobs, or favors, they source food, water, medical supplies, weapons, and ammunition. They typically go by pseudonyms to protect their identities, such as ragman, skier, mechanic, and fence. It would behoove oneself to keep themselves in good standing with these powerful individuals if they hope to gain an advantage over the competition. And now we've come full circle to where you and your PMC begin their journey in Tarkov. Tarkov has been sealed off now for quite some time. You've become separated from your faction, regardless if you've chosen Bear or Yusek. Scavs are becoming increasingly well-equipped and adapted to the violent and lawless life in Tarkov, serving their respective regional warlords. The UN Peacekeepers, first sent to Tarkov to broker a peaceful resolution between the warring factions, has exposed itself to being just as corrupt and easily manipulated as any other faction within the region committing genocide on the local population, funding violence, and playing both sides when it stands to benefit them. And with a constant air of violent tension, factionalism, and fractiousness, fanatical scavengers have organized themselves into a sort of cult. Their goals and leadership are as enigmatic as the terror group itself. Meanwhile, there are still secrets and evidence of terror group's dealings to be discovered. Soon, routes to the heart of the city will open up, and your rogue PMCs will have new mysteries and dangers to explore. If you feel like you've only gotten part of the story, that's because you're right. The story of Tarkov is more complex than we realize, and it's only half written. As Escape from Tarkov continues to develop as a game, more of the story will become apparent, 
BSG has also done a great job of providing supporting content that gives us clues to the lore in the forms of novels and their phenomenal raid live action series. I don't know about you, but I'm very interested to see how the story of Tarkov evolves and eventually ends. But until then, let me know what you think of the story so far. Do you find it interesting? What do you think the terror group has been doing with all these labs and military equipment? And do you think the violence within Tarkov will stay contained there, or will it burst out into the larger world? Maybe even with large-scale military conflicts? Whatever your thoughts are, leave them in the comments below. If you'd like me to do a video sharing some of my theories, let me know in the comments as well. If you'd like to see me stream Tarkov, go check me out on Twitch. I stream 5 days per week, and I'd love to have you stop by. A link is in the description. I always appreciate your feedback, so please leave me a thumbs up if you liked this video, or a thumbs down if you didn't. I'm Jeff with EUL Gaming. Good luck out there.